0: Welcome to the bottom line with me Ian Irving and me Danny Higginbotham and um, looking forward to doing this podcast it's going to be something a little bit different we're going to really drill deep into a specific game in the Premier League look at it tactically look at the individual battles the key players within them games and you know what could decide how teams win and obviously how teams lose as well it's something that we're really looking forward to get going with. And it's well-timed as well, it's
1: almost like we've done this on purpose because it's Manchester United and Liverpool this weekend and it doesn't get any bigger
0: than that, does it? Absolutely huge, the rivalry is, is massive, I would still say that it's the biggest rivalry for Manchester United and probably say the same thing for Liverpool as well, so there's no love lost between the two teams and the fact that both teams are doing well as well in the Premier League, second and third, it's going to lead to a great game.
1: Nice name as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, Botham line. It's interesting because the amount of times I've been asked over the years, is it Higginbottom or is it Botham? I'm, I'm not bothered. Some people get like high rate. It, Higginbottom, <laughs> you, you can't make it posh or anything, can you? So I, you I can try. To, yeah. You can try. <laughs> it. It's like bouquet, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit, yeah. <laughs> so, so I just look at it and think, no, it is what it is. And to much I actually prefer bottom, but because yeah. of how it's spelt and what have you, I just thought, you know, quirky name, but obviously other people have helped us come up with a title as well.
1: I had this with Delphin City. It sort of said to him one day, what is actually your name? Because everyone calls him Fabian, Fabian yeah. and all that. He said, well, my name's actually Fabian. Yeah. So I said, well, why have you never corrected anyone? He said, well, people just call me Fab. <laughs> so I said, okay. I said, well, that's one way of looking at it. I said, but do you not get annoyed that people call you the wrong name? He said, not really bothered. No. My mum gets really annoyed though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's, it's like me. It's, it's one of them things like when I was younger, if ever I was in trouble, I was always called Daniel from my mum and dad. Yeah, that was yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: where to start then? Well. The last meeting, I guess. That's the best place to start. A nil-nil draw back in October at Anfield. It was a game full of talking points, mm-hmm. wasn't it? It was quite controversial in a way. And it was interesting because United went into that game probably of the two, the form team. They yeah. won six in a row going into that match. I think they were seven points ahead of Liverpool in the table as well. And they'd been quite attacking to that point, but they weren't at Anfield, were they?
0: I think when you play against a team like Liverpool, you know I, I believe that they're probably one of the best counter-attacking teams in Europe. I think they're that good. You know They've shown it on the European stage as well this season. And I think if you go there, or if you play against them, whether you're playing home or when you try and go toe-to-toe with them, I think you're asking for trouble. Because when you've got the likes of Firmino, such an intelligent player, you've got Mane and you've got Salah, they want to get the space in behind Firmino's very clever very good at dropping deep you know Klopp calls in the heartbeat of the team the engine of the team and then if you're in a foot race with Salah and Mane there's only going to be one winner so the tendency from teams is to say right we're going to sit back so we know that Salah and Mane are fantastic players but what we're going to do we're actually going to take away a certain percentage of their game because a lot of their game is based on pace incredible pace turning defense into attack so a lot of teams choose and look to sit deep against them I think if you look at Liverpool this season, their lowest possession was against Manchester City. They beat them 4-3, it was an exhilarating game, fantastic game. Yet their highest possession was against Everton and then Swansea as well. You know, Swansea did magnificently well against them, come up with a game plan. And I think you've got to do that. And I think what top managers do, and I've noticed that over the years, the top managers will will take an opposition strength and try and turn it into a weakness. And I think what teams try to do with Liverpool now is allow them to come onto them, leave themselves vulnerable and then try and basically do to Liverpool what Liverpool do to opposition. But they're a team that are progressing all the time. I don't think they're actually missing Coutinho too much. So from United's point of view at Anfield, I believe that they did the right thing. You know, people always go on about, oh, this is Manchester United, we shouldn't be doing that. I think everybody gets lost with this side of things because what you're doing, you're comparing this Manchester United to the treble-winning Manchester United team. The Manchester United in 2006, 7, 8, 2009, 2010, The incredible teams with the world-class players. Manchester United are a team in progression now. So when people come out and say, well, it's not the Manchester United way, well, yeah, but Manchester United aren't the team that they were, they're trying to get back up there. Manchester United have, in recent years, have come out of an unprecedented amount of success and they're having to rebuild now. So they're not going to be able to go to Liverpool like they used to be able to. They're not going to be able to go to these other teams and do what they used to do because they've got some world-class players now, but they're not as good as the Manchester United teams that we talked about. You know, But going into
1: that game, United were banging form. That, mm. That's probably the best we've seen Manchester United really in terms of a period of form since Alex Ferguson left and confidence was sky high. Lukaku had made a great start. Mm. They were joint top of the table with Manchester City. They dropped just two points before that match and people did feel like United could do that. So why didn't they? Is this just Jose? I think it is. is It's simple as Mm. that?
0: I think it is. I think when you look at Mourinho, he's had fantastic success over the years, whatever club he's been at, whatever country he's been at, but he can be pragmatic, there's no doubt about it, you know, where he will sit back, look at the opposition and say, right, okay, how can we actually make them vulnerable by making ourselves defensively strong, and that's that's what he looks to do. Let's not forget, you know, Pogba at that time, he got an injury, he got suspended, got an injury, so he missed the game, so he was a miss. Sanchez obviously wasn't at the football club, he's still trying to hit the ground running. Fellaini so. was missing as well, he yeah. actually
1: played quite a lot at the start of the season, well, in terms
0: of releasing Pogba
1: as well in games.
0: I think that if Fellaini found himself in a situation where he was fit, I think what Manchester United would have done, every time De Gea would have got the ball, they would have looked long to Fellaini and just said, right, okay, beat the Liverpool press by going long to it, get players and bodies around Fellaini, and then go from there. Because when you play against Liverpool, they press so high, you have two ways of beating that. You either go around it or you go over it. Now, to go around it is very, very risky. You know, people talk about Manchester City, and they say, right, okay, well, you know, you can beat the Manchester City press. You could beat the Manchester City press if you had De Bruyne and David Silva in the team. But unfortunately, Manchester City have got them. So at times, you go, right, okay, we're going to go over the press. And I think that's something that Manchester United may well have done more if Fellaini was playing because getting Liverpool on the back foot, that was obviously the aim for Manchester United, but soaking up the pressure and, and doing it that way. So you look at a lot of teams that have played Liverpool this season, you go to Anfield and expose yourself you're doomed. Look what Arsenal did. Even City. Yeah, City did that yeah. as well. So we talk about it and say, well, yeah, City, fantastic game. Arsenal, fantastic game. They walked away from Manfield with, with no points. Manchester United come away with one point. So people will say that it was boring, it was this, it was that. Well, I think there's a lot of snobbery in football. Football is all about knowing how to get results. You know, knowing when you can win games, knowing that you can't play this way against a certain team because it works right into their hands. Liverpool want to play counter-attacking football. And like I said previously, the best team in Europe, in my mind, at counter-attacking football. So you've got to stop them from doing that. Don't allow any space in behind. And I don't think it changes at Old Trafford either. Manchester United aren't going to win the league. But what happens if that draw would have given them the point that did win them the league? So, you know, people look at... It Fergus could be the point that makes them second. Exactly. Exactly, so it's it's a huge thing, and I think when when people look at Manchester United as well under under Sir Alex Ferguson, but the quote Fergie time, it was for a reason because you know the amount of times he'd win games in the last minute, it might be a really tight game, might be nil nil, and they'll, they'll get that last minute winner. But you know at times they got draws and things like that, and he was pragmatic pragmatic, sorry, at, at certain teams that he went to, you know, and, and Mourinho was no different. I think in an ideal world, against the top teams, he's happy to draw away, but then beat them at home. We've seen that they did that with Chelsea, obviously got beaten away, then won at home. Arsenal did win away, which was probably one of their best counter-attacking performances of the season. I know De Gea was was outstanding, as he that's always is. That's one word for it, yeah. Yeah, as he always is. The best goalkeeper in the world as well. But I just think that that's the way Mourinho looks at him from Manchester United's point of view and for Liverpool as well. They're both teams in progression. They're both better than last season, scoring more goals, conceding less goals, more points. So, you know, from both points of view, they're in a situation where they're both on the rise.
1: You mentioned Fergie time. It was Jose time on Monday night, wasn't it? Incredible, actually. The first time that Mourinho has ever come from two goals down in the Premier League to win a match. I couldn't believe that. At Chelsea and Manchester United. I mean, is that just because he never goes two goals
0: down or because once he's down, he's down? I don't know. I would probably say that because we know how defensively strong he is, very rarely probably would his teams be two goals down, or if they are. The way that football is now, if a team, by and large, tends to get a two-goal lead, you know, they've earned the right then to play on the counter-attack, so if anything they're actually going to pick the opposition off even more, so it's very difficult to do that. But it was a game of two halves. Um, and it was an incredible comeback, but what really surprised me was at the start of the game, funnily enough, I spoke to Roy Hodgson earlier on in the day, and the way that he always goes to set about his team, without the ball they play very narrow. So what they did every time that Manchester United got the ball back, they said, right, we're going to send you inside. They sent them inside to body. so at no time was anybody from Crystal Palace isolated, Yet Valencia and Ashley Young were making some great runs down the sides. And you saw a couple of times wayward passes played to him. but that's where the space was. And Hennessy, I think there was one ball that was played into him and he he fluffed it. But then Manchester United kept wanting to go inside. So every time Pogba got the ball, Sanchez and him were getting in the way of each other. Lukaku was in the middle. Lingard wanted to come in the middle. So all the space was in the wide areas. When I've been at the, the smaller clubs and you're playing the big clubs, you always have to forsake something. And we always used to say, right, okay, we'll give you the width. Because if you're going to put crosses into the box, we fancy our chances. But what we're not going to do is you to go through the middle. So Crystal Palace said you can have the width, but Manchester United didn't use it in the first half. And Crystal Palace, I think the pace at which they started, I thought that caught Manchester United cold and they took full advantage of it early in the game.
1: Will Liverpool look at that, the way that Palace sent them inside?
0: No, I don't think so, because I think Liverpool will want to go on the outside themselves. So I think they will want to be quite expansive. We saw Liverpool get beat at Swansea not so long ago. And afterwards, he was asked, you know, how did you go about it? And he said, well, if I've got a Formula One car and it's driving on a motorway, can do 150. But if I bring that Formula One car, four o'clock into London rush hour, I'm not gonna be able to go anywhere. And that's what he did. And he did it absolutely brilliantly. So if anything, I'd probably say Manchester United Could well do that to Liverpool to a certain extent, send them into bodies. Obviously, you've got to be careful with who's got the ball at the time. With Salah and Mane, the last thing you want them doing is driving inside with the ball. So there'll be some very interesting key tactical battles, I think, within the game.
1: Obviously, you've been a player. You've been in and around Manchester United. You've been in and around other clubs when they will have scored late winners, I'm sure. What does that do in the build-up to such an important game like Liverpool?
0: It's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic because everybody thinks 2-0. You know they're out of the game then you get that first goal back then all of a sudden it's, it's the desire and what really stood out to me was that when they made it two all every Manchester United player got that ball they sprinted back straight to the halfway line because they believed that they could win the game so that will give them great confidence the fact of they've gone two goals down they've gone away from home scored three goals Lukaku still scoring goals absolutely brilliant you know small and I thought he grew into the game obviously he got his goal as well Matic, come off the hour, come off the defensive midfielder to score the winner.
1: Everyone was shouting pass, weren't they? Come on.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I was looking, I was thinking to myself, oh, what's he going to do here? He's just going to get the ball and he's just going to do, he's going to recycle it like he usually does and I just thought, no, he's going to hit it and he hit it so sweet because when he hit his foot, I was near enough behind it so you could see Hennessy, the minute Matic hit it, it's always going away from the keeper and it was a great finish and it was another really good performance from Matic but yeah, it will give him outstanding confidence going into this game. The fact that the last two games they've gone behind. In an ideal world, you don't want to be doing that. You want to take the lead, True. but they will take great confidence that, okay, if we do go a goal down, it's not the end of the world, we can come back. Do you forget
1: about the first half, though, a little bit? Because it was pretty bad for United, wasn't it? As a player, just forget about the problems you had in the first half and just only think about the fact you came back into the game the way they did.
0: I think it's something the manager will address. I think he will have. Well, he needs to, doesn't he? Exactly. Yeah. He will have addressed and he will have said, "Listen, yes, we've come back and we've won the game. It's three-two, but we can't forget about the first half of the game because what I thought Crystal Palace did really well is in terms of the defensive side of things. Schlup and Townsend, at times the two wingers would come in narrow. It created a lot of problems for the two centre backs for Lindelof and for Smalling because what would happen is the two wingers would come inside. That meant that Valencia and Young were dragged inside, and then it was role reversal. Benteke and Sir Lott. they'd go into the wide areas. Now, any centre back will tell you you don't want to have to go outside the width of the 18-yard box because you can become isolated. Prime example was Crystal Palace's first goal. Benteke got it down the left-hand channel. Smalling got dragged out. Smalling, I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's going to send him down the line here. He allowed him to come inside. And should have been closer, shouldn't he? Should, it? Should have been closer, but because of the way of the movement off the ball, a lot of the times when you're watching the games, you look at a centre-forward and go, wow, he's found some great space there, but it, it's, no, how's he found the space? And the space was simply because the two wingers were dragging the 2 fullbacks inside and near enough becoming centre-forwards themselves And the two centre-forwards were going out wide. And Man United they found it very difficult to deal with it. I think the intensity of Crystal Palace surprised Manchester United. I think that they would have expected Crystal Palace to sit back. And when Crystal Palace got into their stride so early on in the game, because it took Manchester United by surprise, it took them a long time to get up ahead of steam. And then what was happening was when Manchester United got the ball because the midfield was so congested, plays were getting in each other's way and nobody was able to get into their rhythm until the second half.
1: So big personalities in this game then, Danny, all over the pitch, really. There's one standout player in form, really, and that's Mo Salah. 32 goals in 39 appearances this season, 24 goals in the Premier League. The joint top scorer, he's scored in 26 different matches this season. He's been sensational, hasn't
0: he? Sign of the season. I think when you bring into perspective the amount of goals that he's scored, how much he cost as well. You know, when these astronomical transfer fees are going around. So when you package it all up like that, he's got to be. He has to be, in my mind, the sign of the season. He's been absolutely magnificent. And the way that he's taken Liverpool to that next level, the way that he's fitted in so easily. A lot of people questioned it because obviously it didn't work for him at at Chelsea. Then he went to Italy and and was very successful. And he's come back and he's been absolutely brilliant. He's been a dream for Liverpool. And he's he's a fan's favourite near enough straight away. He's just, he's a player that's in top form. And people say, how do you stop him? you stop the supply line to him. That's what you have to do, because I think when he gets the ball... You can't stop him. I, I think it's very difficult to stop him. He's made a fool of some of the best defenders, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe. So I think you've got to stop the supply line to him. There'll be a trigger, I'm sure, that when a certain Liverpool player gets it, it's like, right, okay, you're always sending him away from Salah. Because the minute Salah gets on the ball, that's when problems occur. Because what happens is then, is that not the fact that Salah may actually do something, but... I know for a fact, when we used to play against the top teams and the top players, you looked at individuals and you said, right, okay, he's a key player for them. If he gets on the ball, we're in trouble. When you are looking at that, when you are highlighting
1: a player yeah. like that, and you're a defender, because obviously that was your position mm. as well, how much research would you do during the week in the build-up to that game to think about the ways in which he had been stopped, the ways
0: in which he damaged teams?
1: What sort of an anxiety was there about well, trying to stop these players? Well, what
0: we'd do, we'd always have a video, usually a Thursday, in particular at Stoke, and we'd go through how we were going to play as a team in order to make sure that the opposition couldn't get us. Get, this get Pulis, us. by the yeah, way. Yeah, this was Pulis. Yeah. So what we do, in specific, like home games, so I remember we used to when we played Chelsea at home, they used to love to play through the middle of the pitch. They loved to play the ball really fast, the likes of Balak and Lampard, two world-class players. So what Tony Pulis did, let the grass grow, so the, the movement of the ball was a lot slower. And on the Friday before the game, 20 of us had a 10-a-side, down the middle of the pitch at Stoke. So (laughs) so the game comes along on Saturday. We want the wide areas, because all we want to do is get the ball in the wide areas and put it into the box comes the middle of the pitch just looks like it's a farmers field. Almost, oh, it looks like a Sunday yeah. pitch. So, so the balls going to the likes of, of Balak and Lampard and players like that, like I say, world class players, and they're having to take that extra touch because it's so bumpy. It's coming into the shed. Yeah. Don't. Whereas I'm looking like I've got a touch like Messi because I'm getting the ball in the wide area and it's like a carpet. Steady, think, yeah, it's, Danny. Steady. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. True. Very true. Getting a little bit carried away. We'd have the team videos where we would look at the strengths and weaknesses of the opposition. And then I always used to get DVDs of the individuals that I could be playing against. So it could be two or three different players and look at, right, this one wants to go inside with the ball. This one wants to use the width. So the minute you knew on the team sheet, it was like, right, okay, I've got to adapt my game this way. But I just think with someone like Salah, when you're playing against these top-class players, you can't leave them one-on-one. So if they get the ball, Manchester United will probably commit two players to him. Now, Manchester United doing that, that means there's a spare Liverpool player somewhere. So the knock-on effect from Salah actually getting the ball is not necessarily the fact that Salah's going to get the ball and score a goal, is the fact that it's going to leave another Liverpool player gaps. free. It's going to leave gaps. So therefore, the way to stop Salah, the only way I believe to stop Salah, is to actually stop the supply line. When you talk about, all right, it's a little bit of a different extent, but when people talk about Neymar, Messi and Suarez, when they were firing all cylinders for Barcelona, people say, how'd you stop them? You don't stop them, you stop Busquets. Stop the supply line. Same with Fernandinho a lot of the time. You have to stop Fernandinho because if he gets the ball to the front three or the two midfielders either side of Fernandinho, you like to De Bruyne and David Silva, you're in all types of trouble. So you've got to try and stop it at source. So it'll be interesting to see whether Manchester United say, right, OK, what we're going to do when we lose the ball, we're going to go and actually man-mark a defensive midfielder. Will Mourinho be looking at Liverpool and saying, right, OK, this season in the Premier League, who's produced the most passes to Salah from midfield? Do they look at that and go, right, okay, he's the prominent one. He's made 75% of the passes that Salah's received. So does Mourinho look at it and go, right, okay, one of the forward thinking players, the minute we lose the ball, you're going to go and sit on him. You're either going to stop him getting the ball defensive midfielder, or the minute he gets the ball, you're going to show him down the left hand side instead of the right hand side. So there's a lot of there's a lot of permutations that I'm sure Mourinho will be looking at. But the best way to stop Salah is starve him with the ball. Don't allow him to have the ball because he is that good. We go back to the anfield game, Darmian played. And I just wonder whether that was that was a tactic to say, right, okay, we know that Salah wants to come inside, we know that he wants to get onto his, his left foot. So with having a left-back who's actually right-footed, if Salah's going inside, is it beneficial to have him going inside on a full-back who's actually right-footed and comfortable on his right foot? So if that's the case, is it Ashley Young that plays there? I know he came off against Crystal Palace, but that could be another ploy that Mourinho might have. So there's a lot of different ways that Manchester United will probably look to stop him. On the flip side, Danny, mm.
1: as a Liverpool <coughs> player, looking around your dressing room, and you've got a guy sat there in yeah. your dressing room who's that good. How does that make you feel?
0: Oh, unbelievable. If you've got a match winner like that, you know, it's... Like, over the years, I've I've been fortunate enough to play with some top players at different football clubs that have then moved on. But they were the go-to man. They were the ones that made a horrible 0-0 game, a 1-0 victory in your favour. And they're worth their weight in gold because you know if things aren't going right, is your go-to man. Always wants the ball. Always looking for positions, how he can get the ball. How can he affect the game? Whether it be scoring goals, whether it be assisting him. So when you're in that dressing room and then even when you're lined up in the tunnel, when we used to line up with Stoke, in particular in the Premier League, especially at home, you know, if I was a captain, you look back down the line or if you're in the middle of the pack, look you know, forwards and backwards. And I always used to look at our team and thought to myself, right, This turns out being a a physical battle on the pitch today. Do I fancy us? So that was our way of looking at things. We didn't look at, oh, yeah, we've got Salah that can create this bit of magic. (laughs) We were always, when we played at home, it was always a case of you've got to bring teams down to your level. We can go toe-to-toe in Manchester United. Manchester United and Chelsea did it brilliant with us. They outscrapped us because they were so strong. They, They had complete players, and then their quality came through. But a lot of the teams, the majority of teams that we played at home, we always just used to look at ourselves and look at the other team and go, right, if this becomes a physical battle on the pitch, can we win it? And you used to look up and down the line and, you know, I'm six foot one, six foot two, and I was one of the smallest players. And you looked at and thought, yeah, you know what? We're really going to be up for this today because it is going to become a physical battle. So that's that end of the spectrum. But from Liverpool's point of view, yeah, they've got so many match winners. Salah is, is brilliant, but then you've got Firmino, you've got Mane. They are they're so exciting to watch going forward, the interchanging of the team. Firmino, who I think is so underrated, is the engine of that team. The way he drops deep, creates space then in behind for, for the likes of as Salah and Mane to get into.
1: 22 goals this season for Mino as well, which is a great return for him. You're talking there about players having to win a battle before they can perform. It's quite a nice link that to Paul Pogba. Mm. Is that one of his issues at the moment, that perhaps he's not winning that battle? He's got all the ability in the world, he's got all the tools at his disposal. What's wrong with him at the moment?
0: Well, I think what we've seen over the last few games is Mourinho go to a a 4-3-3, which does suit Paul Pogba. Um, A lot of fans have asked for that. I've always said, you buy a player of that significance, of that amount, when you've got to build a team around him, you've got to play to his strengths. He played in a three at Juventus, whether it be in a 4-3-3 or whether it be in a a 3-5-2. So he was always part of a midfield three and he always had the license to get forward. So you've got a couple of problems really. Against Crystal Palace, because Manchester United weren't having much joy and Paul Pogba wants to get on the ball because he wants to do this, he was dropping deeper and deeper. So a lot of the time, he ended up on the same line as McTominay and Matic. You don't want him doing that because the effect that he has on Manchester United going forward is extreme. And people say, well, 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 why? You know, you've got Lukaku scoring the goals. 95% of the games that Manchester United play, the opposition back four, back three will play deep. If I'm playing against Lukaku, Sanchez, Lingard, Martial, Rashford, I'm sitting deep. So what happens is when Pogba gets into his stride and breaks through the opposition midfield, me then as a centre-back, I've got a real dilemma. Do I go out to Pogba because we've seen him score long-range goals? Do I go out to Pogba knowing that if I don't, he's getting into 24, 25 yards, he's probably going to shoot, so I'm going to go out to him? So I go out to him, all of a sudden, the chain of the back four of the back three has been broken. So therefore, Lukaku finds space, a Sanchez will find space, a Lingard, a Martial. But at the moment, because Pogba's starting that little bit deeper at times, he's finding it difficult... I think if you bring Pogba into the equation, I think you've got to talk about Sanchez as well.
1: They want to play in the same areas a lot of the time, don't they?
0: They do, and we look at Arsenal, we look at the way that that Sanchez was there and the way that he played there, and they play a different way. I go back to his last season at Barcelona. His last season when he played at Barcelona, he scored 19 goals and had 10 assists in the Liga, playing on the right-hand side of a three. Now, the problem that you have at the moment, and we saw it with Sanchez on Monday, Sanchez wants to drop deep. So all of a sudden, if you've got Sanchez running towards the ball on the left-hand side and you've got Pogba trying to extend to get onto the ball, you've got two of your best players you could cover with a blanket. Pogba's getting in the way of Sanchez. Sanchez is getting in the way of Pogba. If you've got Martial or Rashford, they don't want to come short. They do not want to come short. They want to join in. They want to go and get involved with Lukaku at times. They want to keep the whip like Rashford did. Sanchez wants to come to the ball. So I look at it and think, right, okay, you can actually solve both problems here by putting Sanchez over on the right of the three. If you play him on the right of a three up front, all of a sudden Pogba's got that space then. We know that Lukaku likes to drift over to the right-hand side. Okay, we'll go, all right, interchange with Sanchez. Because he wants, wants to, to go try. inside, Exactly, yeah. so yeah. therefore that works really well. And we know that Martial's got a great understanding with Lukaku at times. Lukaku will drift to the right, Martial comes inside in that centre-forward position. So in my mind... Give Pogba the license to go forward, as you have been doing. You know, you could play, all right, McTominay got taken over against Crystal Palace. You could play Matic and Carrick, two out-and-out defensive midfielders, and say to Pogba, right, you break through the opposition midfield. Sanchez, you're on the right-hand side, so you're not going to get in the way of each other. Martial, Lingard or Rashford, you do start wide, but you inevitably want to become a centre forward, and you're not going to be coming towards the ball. Because if I'm playing against a team like Manchester United, and I see Pogba and Sanchez near enough holding hands because they're that close together, I'm absolutely delighted. Because I know that one of my players could probably take care of both of them because they're in that specific area. So I think that move Sanchez over to the right, have Pogba still giving him that freedom on the left-hand side, and I think that would work well.
1: When you sort of look at the scenario with a character like Paul Pogba, Mm. there's been lots of speculation about how he's getting on with the manager. There's been loads of, of stories across the newspapers about that. How much do you need to indulge a player and a character like Pogba? Is it a case of... United needs to change to get the best out of Pogba, or
0: does Pogba need to change to get the best out of United? Well, I think if you pay that amount of money for a top player, then you want to play him in his best position. You know, we've seen Hazard, we've seen him playing as a, you know one of the two behind the centre forward. That's when he's at his best. You go and play him centre forward, he's not the same player. So if you buy a specific player for a specific reason and a specific position, you build a team around him. Go back to Liverpool game last season at home. I don't think it helped that he had all the emojis of him all around the the advertising hoardings. You know, things like that don't help. That does put added pressure on him, but that's the way that football is. Is he struggling to cope with pressure? Is that part of it? I don't know because we only see it on the face of it. We don't know the type of individual that he is. What do you think though, Danny, from what you've seen and the way he plays? From the way that he plays at the moment, I think that I don't think he's getting the best out of himself. I don't think he works in a two. And I think he works far better in a free... But he's got to have that freedom in front of him. He's He's got to have that ground to be able to cover. You know, I remember playing against Yayo Torre. He was one of them ones that would just pick the ball up... And would look as though he was jogging. But you were sprinting to keep up with him. Space was made for him to run into. And that's what Pogba can do. And I look at Pogba. Is he going to have more of an effect on Manchester United's defence or, or on the attack? It's going to be on the attack. And when we talk about teams sitting deep... He's the one that needs to break through midfield. He's the only one that can do it for Manchester United. Break through that midfield then drag the back four or the back three out of shape. So I look at him now and I think a lot of times he's been played out of position. He started the season really well, then had an injury, then got suspended. The Arsenal game, he was brilliant. That's what you want. You want to see him being able to stretch the game go forward himself. So. I would like to see Pogba giving a sustained run in a three-man midfield on the left-hand side. And with Sanchez probably moved over to the right, I think it would benefit Sanchez and Pogba. And then I think you see a different Paul Pogba. And just say to him, listen, I don't want you coming towards the ball. I don't want you dropping deep for it. We want you picking up the ball and driving with the ball, but 10 or 15 yards higher up. So that's what I would be looking at it from Pogba's point of view. Because do I think he's been given the platform yet to do what's made him so good? Probably not. So give him that platform, or allow him to do it. And if it doesn't work, then he has to take responsibility then. Yeah,
1: it would be very interesting to see how he gets on on Saturday, yeah. certainly. Just finally, Dan, can I talk to you about the mood within a club mm. going into this sort of game? You were at Manchester United in a week, building up to a Liverpool mm. game. What's the atmosphere like
0: around the club? Is it different? It is a bit different, obviously, when you're playing the likes of Liverpool and, and Manchester City. I still believe that, you know, with, with history and things like Manchester City, obviously, are now taken to the next level, but... From my point of view, growing up as a supporter, it was always Manchester United, Liverpool. You know, the rivalry was was unprecedented. It was unbelievable. But yeah, it was. I think the the ninety nine so they'd won the treble, and I'd had I'd had a little bit of trouble in in Belgium, uh, which was that's definitely a story for that, another day. Isn't that's it? something that we can definitely get into in depth. <laughs> and and I remember the build up to the game. it was Sir Alex Ferguson pulled me. He just said this, and he said, um, you know, it's probably not going to sound great, but if you weren't banned at the moment, you know, you'd have been involved. So I was obviously gutted about that, but I think the difference was then, it means the same to the supporters now. But if you look at the team then, so, you know, all right, maybe not specifically on that day, but, you know, you had Butt, you had Neville, Giggs, Scholes, Beckham, um, Gary Neville as well. Beckham, okay, yes, he's a southerner, but he was at Manchester United. He'd been around enough. He'd been around yeah. for a long time. And then you had Ronnie Walwork at the time that come off the bench, Michael Clegg. All of a sudden, you've got you got seven Manchester-based players or seven players that know what the rivalry is all about. It's different now. It's very different now. I think when you look at the Manchester United team, you know, it's global stars that probably do understand what it means to, to Manchester United supporters but probably don't get it as much as what say a local player would. So Lingard, you know, he'll know what it's all about. Well he's the, Warrington, he's halfway in between really, isn't ex- he? Exactly he's, so. He probably knows more yeah, than anyone about definitely. this fixture in some ways, yeah. Rashford, so you know, you've got them type of players that they will know exactly what it means, but some of the players, they'll understand that it's a huge game, but they won't know so much what it's all about, what it comes with. The one thing I'd say about that group of players that I only played a few games at Manchester United, but to be able to train with them for a year, two years, to see how they were in training, they would call each other out in training for all the right reasons because certain things weren't acceptable. It was train how you play. And it was unbelievable from my point of view to actually be involved in that because these were world class players. I was a snotty nosed 19, 20 year old kid. So I was like, well, if it's good enough for them and I'm not anywhere near their level, it's got to be good enough for me. So it was brilliant. So
1: that's one thing that in the future we definitely need to go into more, you know, the types of characters that were there at oh. the time and the way in which those sort of individuals led everyone else. I mean, that dressing room policed itself in it a way. Did. And then above that, you've got the chief constable who'd, who'd get involved if, if he needed to. You it, know,
0: It was incredible because they were all different characters. Some of them were quiet, some of them were vocal, but none of them afraid to dig each other out in, in the best possible way because they wanted the best from their team. And it was a great grounding for me to be around world-class players, but not not just the fact that they were world-class players, but the attitude that they had to go along with it. I'll tell you a quick one. So Gary Neville, Phil Neville, obviously Gary Neville went on to be probably one of Manchester United's greatest ever right-backs. When we were apprentices, we used to get one Wednesday afternoon off every two weeks. That was all we'd get. So we were like, yeah, we were delighted, couldn't wait. We had day release on a Thursday to go college. But you guarantee every second Wednesday afternoon that we would have, there'd be a knock on our door just as we are getting out of the shower, Gary and Phil Neville putting their head around the corner. Lads, we're going up on Mini Wembley at the top of the cliff and we're going to do heading practice. Gary Neville was a fully-fledged Manchester United player and England international, England's right back, and Phil Neville was was making his way into the first team. So us as young lads, we were like, oh my God, can't be doing with this. It's like, But after about three or four weeks of doing it, you're like, hang on a sec, if it's good enough for these two players, England international and Manchester United regular and a player that's starting to make his name in Manchester United's first team, it's got to be good enough for us. So that grounding was, was absolutely fantastic, but the dynamics, the characters of them players was just absolutely incredible.
1: So Danny, the big question. I'm sure everyone sat listening, wondering, score prediction. Oh. How's it going to go?
0: That's not. It's a difficult. One. It's a difficult one to answer. I'll put me on the spot. Um, I think it's going to be a game where Manchester United will sit back. I think that. No, this isn't a score prediction. Yeah. No, I'll give you score prediction. I'm just getting. It. I'm okay. just. I'm just all trying right. to get myself mentally. Building yourself up. To yeah. It. Think, the excuses are in yeah, there. Before I think Manchester you. Manchester United yeah. will sit back. I think they'll allow Liverpool to do all the running. Manchester United will be happy to sit back, and I think they'll be happy to go with that. I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I'm going to go for a Manchester United 2-1 win. I think both teams will score, but like I say, I don't think it's going to be 3-2, 4-3 or anything like that. It's going to be 5-0 now, isn't it? But I think it'll be quite a cagey affair. I wish you could see the
1: despair on Danny's face as he made that prediction. The head (laughs) is shaking back and forth. (laughs) Guys, that's the bottom line on Manchester United against Liverpool, do let us know what you think, do let us know the bits you liked, maybe the bits that you didn't like, the questions I didn't ask, the answers that Danny didn't give, but thank you for your company and enjoy the game. Hi, Ian and Danny here again, we're just having a post-podcast cuppa. Two sugars in yours, Danny?
0: yes always please i'm feeling a little bit indulgent today need a little bit more sugar in there
1: we just wanted to say if you are listening on itunes please rate the podcast let us know what you think in the comments section as well any suggestions for the future stick them in there too and make sure you subscribe and please tell your friends
0: as well yeah it's important for us to, to get the feedback the comments we want to know what we want uh, more from yourselves in terms of the content in there what you like from us and what you think we should do better
1: cheers guys